Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, I think we have a great show lined up for today, as usual. Um, you know, we're going to start off here talking about uh, the truth about the Joneses. Yes, don't compare yourself to the Joneses. Yeah, those people next door, they may not be in quite as good a shape as you think. So don't make assumptions. Yeah, we, we um, lift the hood on people's finances, you know, every day. And you'd be surprised. People drive nice cars. They have nice homes. But um, they're not happy like you think they are. In a lot of cases, sometimes they are. But, uh, you know, with those new things comes debt. And that comes stress. So um, we're going to kind of dive into that topic a little bit, try to give you some perspective on the Joneses a little bit and uh, reasons why you shouldn't like try to emulate what they're doing. Yeah, you got to play your own game. It's like golf. Everything's like golf. Life's like golf, but you got to play your own game. It's you against the course, man. Forget about the guy next door, what he's shooting. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about with with the retirement withdrawal conundrum. Um, you know, this is an int- a very important topic. You know, when you get to retirement, you got to figure out how much to withdraw and how to go about that. So we're going to talk about the important decisions that you have to make and the steps to that and the things you need to consider. Um, very important topic. So, but we're going to start off here. Um, well, by the way, I am Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. With over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we are excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, you can go to our website, moneymd.net. We have those podcasts linked up on the right-hand side. We also have a whole bunch of videos uh, about different topics. We're getting some good feedback from folks on that. Um, we also have a Facebook page. If you haven't checked that out, we put a video up there every week of the prescription of the week. And this week is going to actually be your daughter. Abby is going to be giving us some tips on right. uh, way to, the way to save money on food. Exactly. And she's very Pretty entertaining. Good. You'll she want is, to see this. She is very funny. You'll want to see this. And do check us out on our website. As John mentioned, um, you know, we have a new retirement planning spreadsheet out there that mm-hmm. you can run and give yourself a quick snapshot of what you might look like in retirement. Very uh, useful tool. So you'll want to check that out. Also, you can email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or you can link to us there on our website. Okay, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, see, this comes from the Department of Energy, and um, the USA imports 22% less oil than it did a decade ago. I mean, oil imports averaged about 8 million barrels a day in 2016. That was down from about 10 million barrels back in 2006. So, man, I tell you what, you know, it would be interesting to go back and look at the forecast back in 2006. My guess is they didn't expect um, a decrease in oil um, based on, you know, what's happened in the economy. It's truly amazing. Well, this is an amazing feel-good story about, you know, what has changed for the good, for the better in our energy situation. I mean, gee whiz, 10 years ago, it was such a different picture. You know, there was a book I read about um, about the uh, peak oil is what it was called. And uh, he was talking about, you know, how oil we were going to run out of oil and all that kind of stuff. And that was 10 years ago. I had a client that was 
worried about that. And we, we kind of studied the picture and, you know, I said, you know, technology changes everything and, you know, I wouldn't worry about it. We got solar and we got other things that are coming online and, you know, sure enough, I mean, it's amazing what, what, what technology has done. Yeah. The fracking. Oil production. Yeah. Fracking, horizontal drilling. Yes. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, now we are, we are basically energy independent. We're a net energy exporter. You know, when you add up the gasoline that we send overseas and natural gas and other things that we sell, and you can you balance that against what we import. We're we're a net exporter of energy, and OPEC's yeah. no longer in control of the That's price right. of oil. And that was like, even five years ago. That it just changed, not right. overnight, but it took you know years. But um, yeah, it's it just goes to show that you can't bet on any one sector, industry, or even stock. Because technology is changing things rapidly. Right? Exactly, exactly. So that's a that's a great fact of the week, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the truth about the Joneses. Mm. Those people next door, you just don't need to worry about them, man. Play your own game. That's right. This is actually from uh, Rachel Cruz, and um, you know, Steve, we've all been there. I mean, I, I don't use social media that much, but I do look at Facebook, and you'll scroll through there, and you know, see a picture of your uh, your old college roommate with a, a brand new Mercedes glistening in the sun, you oh, know, yeah. maybe they've taken a, uh, a trek across Europe and they've posted all the pictures on there. And, uh, you know, maybe your coworker was promoted uh, versus you. Ouch, that hurts a little bit. So you see all these positive images and it's really easy to look at someone else's life and, and wish it was your life. I mean, the idea of keeping up with the Joneses is nothing new, but lately it's grown even worse in our culture, primarily because of social media. And, uh, you know, Rachel Cruz does have a, a good book out there. It's called Love Your Life, Not Theirs. And she addresses the issues directly. And there are seven habits um, that you got to embrace that if you want to love your life and not look at the Joneses and someone else's. Because we, I think we all have blessings. And, and certainly there's always going to be someone with, with more whatever that you're comparing. But um, you got to look at what you have and be thankful for that. Yeah, that's right. And habit number one here, if we jump into it, is quit the comparisons altogether. Just quit it. I mean, sometimes getting caught up in the highlight reel of other people's lives makes us feel inferior or like the grass really is somehow greener on the other side. You know, we think, you know, look how great they're doing. If only I had their life. Everything is just perfect over there. I mean, comparing your life to someone else's is the quickest way to feel discontent and to feel unhappy about your situation. Yeah, in her book, um, Love Your Life, Not Theirs, Rachel says that the comparison game isn't worth it. You know, I've come to realize that when it when we start comparing ourselves to other people, we're playing a game that we'll never win. And I think that's that's definitely true. Yeah, that is. That is. Number two here is steer clear of debt. And uh, interesting, Rachel was born the same year that her dad, Dave Ramsey, filed for bankruptcy. And so she mm. grew up in a home where, you know, she quickly learned that, that debt is dumb and cash is king, as Dave says. And the word budget was never frowned upon, but it was certainly embraced. And Rachel said she was raised with the knowledge of how to live debt-free along with the commitment to actually doing it. So in her book, you know, she shares the plan to keep you out of debt for good. And um, whether you're buried with car loans or credit card payments, uh, or if you've never taken out a single line of credit in your life, her tips will help you keep, you know, your debt at bay. So, um, you know, you look at the Joneses a lot of time and they are full of debt. That's I mean, right. They are paying everything with debt. And that's a very stressful situation to be under. So number two is steer clear of debt. Number three here is make a plan for your money. And uh, the question is, is are you telling your money 
where to go or is your money telling you where it's going? So Rachel says you need to make a plan for your money so you can take control of it. Uh, and that really begins with that old B word, Steve, the budget. Unfortunately. We talk about that a lot. But uh, her, her take on budgeting is refreshing and uh, relatable. And, um, you know, she even talks about sometimes that she doesn't like doing budgets. And, uh, you know, I've been doing budgets for decades now, and I know you have as well. And sometimes it's not fun doing that, but you have to sit down and you have to look. And, and uh, it's really a way to prioritize your values as a family and allocate that money to different things that's important to you. So make sure you have a plan for your money. Exactly. That's a great tip, great habit. And the next one here is talk about money even when it's hard. And that is definitely true. There's nothing more important than communication when it comes to marriage. Yeah, if you're married, it's essential for you and your spouse to be on the same page about money. The odds are one of you is naturally going to be inclined to be a saver, and maybe the other person's naturally inclined to to spend money. Um, believe it or not, though, those differences make for a great team when it comes to handling your money. Um, because, you know, you can have saving on the one hand and you can have another person that kind of keeps the fun in the relationship, right? <laughs> so, you you know, you still take vacations and you still spend money on things that are important to your relationship and your future and your family. But you have to approach it from a united front. So if you're willing to endure the occasional discomfort and the awkwardness that those conversations bring, which you have to be able to do, then you'll find that the freedom to love each other more deeply comes from those conversations, according to Rachel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Number five here on the list is is save like you mean it. I mean, we can never predict what's going to happen in life. Uh, you got to have a buffer between you and the curveballs. So having an emergency fund, that $1,000 that Dave talks about uh, is the first step. Um, the fund's really there to catch you um, when you make a fall, and it makes it a little bit less painful. So do whatever you can to save that $1,000 initially. You know, because having nothing saved in a crisis really adds to the stress level and you'll be forced to use debt to bridge that gap. So and then debt, you know, compounds the problem. So if you can have that cushion, um, that's very, very important. She also suggests that instead of relying on a credit card for large purchases, save up for them. You know, it's no surprise that Christmas comes in December, you know, when your spouse's birthday and your kid's birthdays are every year. So start a sinking savings fund for these purchases well in advance so they don't sneak up on you. So make sure you have some tucked away for a rainy day. Exactly. Yeah. The next habit here is to think before you spend. Yeah. Avoid impulse buys like the plague. I mean, stop and really think about everything you have your eye on. You know, is this a want or is it is it truly a need? I mean, it sounds so simple, but taking a step back can save you a lot of money in the long run. And when something isn't in the budget, you know, t- talk yourself off the ledge. Maybe delay it. That's one of the tools that I use. I don't know about you, John, but, you know, I'll just delay things. I'll just say, you know, I don't feel great about this. I think I'll just I'll just wait a week or a month and see if I still want it or if it's still really a need. And you know what? Usually you just forget about it. You don't even think about it again, and it's it's gone. You've avoided that right. you unnecessary that expense. Exactly. So, But having the discipline to say no to yourself, even when you have the cash in your pocket, that's one of the hardest things about handling money, so you have to learn that habit. Yeah, that's a good one. The last one here, Steve, is, is give a little bit until you can give a lot. And some of the most fun you'll have with money is giving it to others. And nothing beats leaving a stressed server a huge tip or, or paying it forward in a drive through 
I mean, giving is is absolutely the best, and and uh, I know Dave talks a lot about that, and we we're big believers as well. And you might not be in a position to give a large amount of money right now, but but you know, do what you can. Um, give of your time, your attention, and even just your extra pocket change. It's really not about the amount; it's about the heart. And uh, generosity really is a lifestyle that uh, changes hearts and minds as it blesses everyone around. So you know, you got to build that into that your your plan of of giving. And helping to others. So, you know, the takeaway here, Steve, is, um, you know, get busy loving your own life. Stop idealizing uh, those you see through a tiny digital screen. When you get caught up in these these comparisons, uh, you know, you're, you're comparing yourself to make-believe. Um, when, you compar- when you compare yourself to make-believe, your real life never feels good enough. So don't compare yourself to the Joneses. Um, be happy with where you are, with what God has given you, and, um, you know, follow some of these simple uh, truths here, and uh, it can help. Yeah, or as I would say, play your own game. Play your own game. Exactly. <laughs> Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. That's a great topic. All right, that leads us up to our next thing here, and that is the question of the week. Yeah, this question is, uh, unfortunately, this um, situation was a, a, a divorce, and the husband and the spouse were getting a divorce, and she was awarded half of his 401k. And the question was, is that, well, how does that work? What does that mean? Well, basically, the court issues a, um, a quadro to qualify domestic relations order, and it is a legal document that, that instructs the 401k provider to split that 401k into two pieces, one for the husband and one for the spouse, the wife, and that the wife would then have their own 401k um, that they could do what they wanted to with. So, you know, the, the court goes through that process and they right. divide the assets. Sometimes someone gets a house, sometimes they get uh, part of a 401k, but that quadro, quad, uh, qualified domestic relations order is what actually does the splitting of that account. Yes, yeah, prepared typically by the attorney, signed by the court, and then you send it to the administrator, and they execute it by splitting it up into two separate accounts. And it's just like you have your own pension fund now, or mm-hmm. you have your own 401k, because that half or whatever it is becomes yours. So, yeah, I tell I tell people that I sit down with, you know, if you think your 401k and your pension is yours, <laughs> you go through a divorce, and you're going to find out it is not all That's yours, right. you know, it's, it's typically those, Maybe half. those are split. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, just, just keep that in mind if you're going through that terrible situation. Um, all right. And that leads up to our next topic here. And that is the retirement withdrawal conundrum. Um, yeah, this is based out of an article from uh, Morningstar from Christine Benz. And, you know, John, when it comes to withdrawing at retirement, it's a little more complicated than people think. You know, I mean, you don't just take money out when you need to. You have, there are a lot of things you have to think about. So but when you're investing money in the years leading up to retirement, your retirement savings rate is kind of the make or break number. Right. You save too little, too late, and you're going to be hard pressed to make up ground with a savvy investing strategy. Um, but once you're retired, though, your withdrawal rate is the equivalent of that make or break figure. You know, withdraw too much from your portfolio too early and you're going to run the risk of, you know, liquidating your retirement assets and running out of money prematurely. And once the damage done, especially with those outsized withdrawals coincide with a bad market, then you're going to have few choices but to dramatically rein in your spending. So this is a really important topic. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, the challenging thing with withdrawal rate, Steve, is it's impossible to say precisely how much someone should be withdrawing. I mean, that's because the perfect withdrawal is dependent about uh, on 
how long you're going to live. It's going to depend on how the stock and the bond markets behave uh, over the retirement. And, and both of those are impossible to predict. Obviously, no one knows that. So the retiree's own spending patterns are in the mix as well. I mean, not every expense can be forecast to the penny. You start looking at health care bills, uh, for example, that might t- uh, force you to withdraw more from your portfolio than originally planned. So it is um, it's somewhat of an art, but there's some science behind it as well. Yeah, that's right. And so you, you really have to rely on market history and you have to err on the, the long side of your own longevity really to get your withdrawal rate in the right ballpark. And as a guiding principle, you know, it's wise to be conservative. I mean, most retirees would rather take two modest withdrawals, end up with money left over than they would to run the risk of coming up short. So setting withdrawal rates is a critical aspect of retirement planning. So as you formulate your own withdrawal strategy, here are some steps and some things to consider when you go through that process. So step number one here is to assess your income needs. Um, So you start the process by projecting your annual income needs in retirement. And if retirement's close at hand or you're already retired, then obviously, yeah, you should have a good idea of what you'll be spending in retirement or what you are spending in retirement. But if retirement's a few years off, you know, you need to consider how your spending might change uh, during your retirement. Um, Think of the things that will be going away once you retire, like maybe a mortgage payment if your house will be paid off or work-related expenses. You know, those could come out of the budget. On the other hand, you might have to consider things that it would be more expensive in retirement, like medical bills, for instance, or medical expenses, uh, insurance, or vacations. So knowing your retirement budget, though, and how much income is you're going to need, that's the foundation to a great retirement plan. Everything is kind of built around that number. Yeah, that's right. You also have to look at, um, so st- step number two is looking at other income sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people have pensions. Um, you know, some people may have part-time work, rental income, Social Security. So you've got to take stock of that and understand that. And it's, it's, it's really... Uh, surprising when we sit down with people. A lot of people don't, they'll have an old pension from somewhere and they don't know the information. They don't know how much it is. And it's just a piece of the puzzle to put this plan together that you're talking about. And, you know, as you've probably heard retirement experts say, working longer is certainly a worthy aspiration, but it's not a plan. I mean, you can't count on working into your 70s uh, as health issues or other obstacles often arise. So just got to do some planning around the other incomes that you have. Yeah, and it takes some legwork. I mean, you got to go out to the Social Security website, you know, SSA.gov, pull down your retirement benefit statement, your Social Security benefit statement. Got to go to your pension websites, you know, add up all those old pensions that you have, if you have a few of them out there, because th- those are really important. You know, a few hundred dollars can make a big difference in the retirement picture. So you want to take a look at all those income sources. The next step here is to determine a planned withdrawal rate and how sustainable it's going to be, right? Um, so, you know, once you're armed with an estimate of your cash flow, your income needs in retirement, as well as your expectation about how much income you're going to have coming from your non-investment sources like pensions and Social Security, then you can subtract those two and you come up with what's left over that'll need to come out of your portfolio, right? So this is the amount of money you're going to need to make up from your investments, so divide your plan portfolio um, withdrawal, the amount that you're going to need uh, from your investments by the total portfolio value, and that's going to be withdrawal rate. So for instance, if you have a $600,000 portfolio, and if you're going to need $2,000 a month to come out of it, 
is 24000 a year. You divide that, and that's 4%. So that's your withdrawal rate. That would be a pretty pretty decent withdrawal rate. That's a pretty sustainable number. Yeah, a 4% initial withdrawal rate and adjusting that for inflation, that's often considered the safe starting withdrawal rate, assuming that a portfolio is at least half invested in stocks. Um, and you need income for maybe around 30 years or less. Um, if your withdrawal rate, on the other hand, is is in that ballpark, that's a great sign. Um, however, if your portfolio is less than half in, in equities in, in the stock market, then you might need, you know, a, a lower figure. Mm-hmm. You might need to use a smaller figure. Or if you need income for a lot longer than 30 years, you need to consider whether that's going to be sustainable. Probably is if you stick to 4%. But uh, you need to look at that. On the other hand, older retirees, they may be able to take 5 or 6% per year out and still have it last their lifetime. So, you know, there's a couple factors there that affect that, that sustainable number. So the next step, though, here is to understand the other systems for calculating and managing withdrawal rates. So how do you get that money really is the question. You know, most retirees, they want to have a fairly stable stream of income in retirement which is why the idea of taking 4% of a portfolio's starting balance and then inflating that each year um, is very appealing, you know, and that that is the most popular way of taking money out of a portfolio. A retiree's inflation, inflated adjusted withdrawal would be level from year to year with maybe a 2 to 3% increase for inflation each year to that number. Um, but that's not the only way to calculate withdrawals. Some withdrawals, they may wish to tether their withdrawals to the portfolio's value and take roughly a fixed percentage of the portfolio each year, regardless of, um, of you know, what it's doing. I mean, they, they just follow the value up and down. Um, that's certainly sustainable from a standpoint of the portfolio, but it has the potential to lead to big fluctuations in your paycheck. So mm-hmm. if your portfolio is down 20%, your income will be down 20%. Right. So most people can't really sustain that. So for that reason, this is not a real practical way of doing it. Yeah, another way to do that, Steve, is um, is taking cash out of the portfolio based on what the uh, the income is is producing. You look at dividend-paying equities, bonds, you may have REITs or preferred stock, and certainly that has a, an intuitive appeal to be sure, but the strategy can also lead to a variability in the uh, cash flows and uh, a need to concentrate your portfolio in high-yielding investments that may have a lot of interest rate risk or just being in one category for that matter, like large U.S. stocks that produce dividends can be very risky if you do that. For that reason, most people find it better to have more of a well-diversified portfolio, taking a holistic approach and simply liquidating enough bonds or equities each month um, to to generate that cash flow that you need. So uh, we do have people that talk about just living off of dividends and you know, that means you have to be in large U.S. stocks, which is risky in itself. Yeah, or preferred stocks or mm-hmm. high-yield bonds. I mean, any of those have a lot of unsystematic risk, you know, that are just inherent to the vehicle, the type vehicle you're in. You're not truly diversified if you're doing that. So that's that's a very dangerous approach to take. Um, you know, the next step here is to determine whether to use uh, dividends or it's kind of the same question, whether you use dividends or rather to sell assets or both for living expenses out of your portfolio. So once you arrive at kind of your general approach for withdrawal rates, um, you need to determine the logistics of how you get those withdrawals. You know, will you will you use your income distributions for living expenses, your dividends, and just 
take those and maybe take a little bit extra, you know, from selling assets? Or do you take kind of a total return strategy, reinvest the income and just simply sell some assets and rebalance your account to deliver those cash flows? Um, well, as we suggested, that's the most widely used approach by advisors, um, you know, and it keeps the best balance of your investments. So we certainly would recommend to, to do that. And that is to rebalance your portfolio and sell enough assets each month to generate that income. So the next step here is to take the tax efficiency into account as well, because that's a, an important consideration. Yeah, if you're withdrawing from a simple single portfolio it seems straightforward, and it would be in that case. If all you had was your IRA, mm-hmm. sure, you just take out what you need out of your IRA. But the reality is a lot of people have multiple portfolios geared toward retirement, like IRAs, company retirement plans, Roth accounts, taxable assets as well, maybe an individual or a joint account, to name some of the biggest categories. So in that case, you need to kind of sequence your withdrawals on the tax treatment of the various pools of money. Um, usually you want to mix those withdrawals and kind of balance out your tax burden over a number of years to avoid pushing yourself into a higher bracket or having, you know, a little taxable income and wasting your deductions and exemptions some years. Um, if you have multiple pockets to draw from with some being non-taxable, um, then we usually suggest balancing it out over various accounts so that you end up with a blended amount of taxable income and you limit paying the taxes in the higher brackets over the long haul. This approach takes a little planning and a little knowledge to know how taxes work. So start your homework early on this and do some planning. For yeah, that. that can be a big deal. It can. And then lastly here is to revisit it periodically and adjust it based on your market conditions that are out there. Um, so plan to revisit with withdrawal rate periodically. Take into account the portfolio's performance. You know, it's asset allocation, your time horizon, and taxes, among other factors. Make sure you're still in the 4 to 5% range. You know, if you if you find yourself in the 6 or 7% range withdrawing money and you're in your 60s, you got to make some adjustments because, you know, it's most, most portfolios, that's not sustainable long term. Um, so you need to review that and see where you're at from year to year as a percentage of assets. But research has shown that spending is higher early in retirement years, and then it might tend to level off in the mid-retirement years. And then it may increase a bit later on as higher health care issues come up, higher expenses with medical issues. Um, But having some flexibility in your financial picture about when you take withdrawals, how much you're going to take, that will help avoid the costly selling assets in a down market and the adverse tax consequences in a high tax year. So you want to build in some flexibility. I can't emphasize how important that is to really be able to control your tax picture and to be able to, to um, you know, make sure you're not withdrawing too much from your portfolio. Um, so you want to have some contingency plans there. The key to success in creating and maintaining withdrawal strategy is to plan early, Know where your income will be coming from in retirement. So if you find yourself needing help with that, um, then certainly give us a call. We work with people with that issue all the time. Mm -hmm. So, and that leads us up to our last thing here, and that is the uh, prescription of the week. Yeah, so so Abby, your daughter, has done a a video for us on... uh, 
on food, how to lower your, your, your bill on groceries. And that is, um, yep. doing some planning and, and make your, your meals and, and quantities. Sometimes they can be frozen. Um, but you can eat off on it for the entire week. And, uh, she's actually putting one of her favorite recipes out there as oh, well. Okay. That's what I, and I hear it's pretty good from, um, from the, the word on the street. So, um, but that's the prescription of the week is, is do some planning when you go to the grocery store. Um, particularly now as we get into the colder season, you know, you can do stews or, you know, chili or whatever, and you can maybe freeze some of it for a later point, but it, it'll lower the cost of the, the meal if you can make it in quantity. Make it in quantity and Make also quantity. carry a list when you go to grocery That's store, right. right? I mean, don't just go in there and start pulling stuff. Don't off go the in show. there hungry. No, for sure. Don't send your husband either. <laughs> Husbands are not good grocery shoppers for the most part. And it's not true for everybody, but <laughs> I would be terrible. Yeah. So, all right. Good, good prescription of the week. And this has been, uh, this brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week on Money MD to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVistor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.